Hey, welcome to the Christmas edition of More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I'm the pastor of Calvary Church in Central Pennsylvania. And this this will be my 29th Christmas at Calvary. 29 years of reading and preaching from the same old stories of Christmas. And yeah, I got to be honest, they never really get old. I mean, what we celebrate at Christmas is so wondrously holy. It's like the heavens opened up and poured out the uncontainable blessings and unmistakable presence of Emmanuel God with us. Every year, every year that I think I know it all, I'm, I'm reintroduced to the wonder and the awe of that truth. And if you think about it, there, there still are some pretty amazing Christmas stories filled with heaven on earth moments. And, and even though there isn't a single gospel Christmas story that I haven't heard and probably preached on multiple times over 29 years, One of the things that I love about Scripture is the way the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to speak a fresh word to us every time we read it, as long as we're willing to lean in and do something with it. So that that in part is is what I'm praying for, for myself and, and each of you, that somehow the Spirit will use the Scripture, my words even, to speak a fresh message into our right now personal, personal lives. So this is episode number 210 and day number seven of our Advent series. It's a Christmas pause, an Advent series in the midst of Paul's letters from prison. We've already invested a few episodes looking at Christmas previews in the Old Testament prophecies, and and now we're taking a bit of time in Matthew's gospel, and after that we'll go on to Luke, and and then the Apostle John will close us out. Mark doesn't really have much for the the Christmas story. In the last episode, we looked at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and if you missed it, but you know your Gospels, you're thinking, oh my Christmas goodness, (laughs) Matthew 1 through 17, isn't that? Yep, you're right, the genealogy of Jesus. We spent a whole episode on the genealogy of Jesus. Now, most of us have a, a character or two in our family tree, but Jesus, my goodness, if I was God, there are a few people in Jesus' lineage that I would have replaced. But but the story of Jesus' family tree is such a great reminder that our past, nobody can ever steal our past for us when God gives us a future. And it's a reminder that God can use anyone to do good in our world. And really, that's at the heart of our Christmas pause today. We're going to read the rest of Matthew chapter 1. So I'm starting in verse 18, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before that marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, just an aside for a moment, that word Jesus, the name Jesus, it's similar to the Old Testament Joshua, Yeshua. You've heard Yeshua, and it literally means God saves. You will name him Jesus because God saves. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred, Matthew writes, to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Which prophet? We already looked at him, prophet Isaiah. (laughs) Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Have you ever stopped to think about how close we came to a bah humbug Christmas that first year? He's not really my hero, but at times I can identify with Scrooge's response to Christmas. I I can catch myself becoming just a little bit cynical, right? When we're counting down the shopping days till Christmas and we got Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all these shopping days, I can get a little cynical when I see us hungry for gifts with no value and seemingly having no time to seek priceless gifts. I can get a little bit cynical when it seems the darkness just grows deeper no matter how bright the season. Faith-breaking, sometimes faith-shattering events. That's that's really what Scrooge's Bah Humbug is all about, right? Through various events in his life, Scrooge had lost faith in his fellow man, in the Christmas spirit, and in God. I mean, it easily could have been Joseph's Christmas carol, Joseph's Bah Humbug. The list had been made, and they were checking it twice. Engaged, check. Wedding date, set, check. Best man and maid of honor chosen, check. I don't know if they had duxes, but if they did, check, check. China registered, bachelor's party plan, invitations mailed, check. Mary's pregnant, check. It wouldn't have been so bad if Joseph had been the father, right? I mean, a little bit embarrassing, but they could have hid it. They could have coped, hidden it for a while, probably would have gone on an extended visit to Mary's relative Elizabeth. But Joseph knew he wasn't the father. Joseph knew he wasn't the father. Mary knew Joseph wasn't the father. And so Mary's news was Joseph's nightmare during a never-ending night. I mean, can you imagine how Joseph might have reacted when Mary told him the news? He was a carpenter. Did he throw his hammer clear across the room? Did he go looking for the guy. The law was on his side. Joseph had every right to have the other guy killed and Mary too, if he wished, but Mary wouldn't tell him who it was. She just kept babbling some nonsense about Elizabeth and an angel and the spirit of God. I mean, wouldn't it be enough to bring a bah humbug from your lips? I wonder I wonder if he had daydreamed about that day when Mary would come to him and say, Joseph, we're going to have a baby. And now all that was ruined. Elizabeth, angel, spirit of God, bah humbug. But do you think he believed her? I mean, w- would you? Kind of a dream-dashing experience for any new husband with family hopes. It says in verse 19 of chapter 1 that Joseph was a just man. In, in other words, he, he was religious. He was pointed towards God. He was a spiritual person. But don't you think he, he had to have come close to a dream-dashing bah humbug that first Christmas? Dr. R.T. Kendall calls it the betrayal barrier said, in his opinion, 100% of believers eventually will go through a period when it seems like God has let them down. A few years ago, I remember a newspaper interviewed a number of of kids, youth, asking them questions like, do you believe in a a God or other spiritual force? And and my heart kind of ached as I read the letters of Kids Without Faith. Josh 15 said, I don't consider myself an atheist. I don't consider myself a, a religious person. I consider myself confused. Karen, age 17, said, I've got nothing against religious people. In fact, sometimes I wish I could believe. Mike, age 14, said, I certainly haven't seen any sign of God, but say there is a God. Why are good people dying? I think think what might have happened is God created life, watched over us for a few years, and then just drifted off when he found out his little world wasn't perfect. And me, 
age 17, said, why should I believe in God? We're told he's good, and yet look at all the bad things in the world. If there's a God, why did he let my friend get run over by a car? Why why does he put my sister and me in constant emotional pain? People say he's our savior. Then why is there all this pain in the world? Bah humbug, right? Lost, never found or shattered faith. And, And faith is so important. I mean, faith is the path we walk to find what we hunger for and always hoped we could find. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says it's what we walk by. Romans 1, 17 calls us to live by faith. Hebrews eleven six says without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, I mean, Christmas is just bah, bah humbug, I I know we've always heard that seeing is believing, but the moral of Christmas is that believing is seeing. So if we want to see, how can we believe? Well, I think it begins with relationship. Faith is a relationship word. You you always have faith in something or usually someone. Faith always has an object. Joseph had a relationship with Mary. As hard as it might have been to believe, it would at least be easy to understand if he wanted to believe. If he wanted to believe Mary wouldn't have been unfaithful, if he wanted to believe that somehow what she was saying was true, those who wouldn't call it faith might call it denial, but but maybe it was love. Maybe it is love that often sets the stage for faith. I mean, it's so much easier to have faith in someone we love. It's so much easier to have faith in someone that we know loves us. And is it all that different with God? Faith is a relationship word, and faith always has an object. Don't don't miss the short description of Joseph in Matthew 119, being a just man. The the Greek word here can be translated just or righteous, and, and at its heart, it doesn't merely refer to a lifestyle, but to a relationship. To be righteous or just was to be in a right relationship with God. Faith is a relationship word. It always has an object. So So just stop for a moment and think, what is the object of my faith? In 1 Corinthians 2.5, Paul talked about the difference between placing our faith in the wisdom of people and placing our faith in the power of God. What, what's the object of your faith? Do you believe in yourself? Do you believe in others? Believe in God? Sometimes I wonder if a lot of us don't just try to have faith in faith, like, like it's, it's the quality of my faith that is going to make good things happen for me. That's having faith in your faith. Jesus once said, all it takes is faith the size of a mustard seed. In other words, don't have faith in your faith, have faith in God. <laughs> if faith always has an object, how is it that our faith will grow? It grows the more we come to know the object of our faith. Our faith grows as we come to know the object of our faith, as long as the object of our faith is trustworthy. And that's why it says in Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. More than bread is actually a an exercise, a path, a strategy to grow in faith. Faith grows as we come to know the object of our faith. And the size of our faith then is kind of equal to the depth of our knowledge. So how well do you know God? Not just know about him. How well do you know God? I, I I don't know, Dan. I don't even know where to begin. Well, you don't have to begin because God already has. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. He he takes the initiative. That's what Christmas is all about, right? God's initiative of a loving pursuit of your soul. <laughs> so it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son. I don't know, Dan. I, I want to believe. 
but I'm just not sure. I mean, like Joseph, right? Joseph is sitting home that night alone there in the dark. He hears everything, the drip of water in the kitchen, the creaks of the floor, the wind rustling the curtains, but mostly he hears Mary over and over again telling him about an angel, about a message from God, about a Savior coming in, and he's got to want to believe. I believe he wants to believe. If, if only he had some kind of proof, some undeniable, irrefutable evidence. And even without hard proof, he doesn't have a hard heart. He decides to be gracious, deal with Mary quietly, forgive and forget and get on with his life. Not bitter, not not wanting to hurt. In verse 20, we see that while agonizing over each detail, asking a thousand questions in the middle of the night, he falls asleep and has a dream. He dreams of an angel with a message from God. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived within her is of the Holy Spirit. And she'll bring forth a son, you'll name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I read a text like that, and I gotta I gotta ask the question: does God still speak? I remember the, the comedian Lily Tomlin once asked, Why is it that when we speak to God, we call it prayer? But when God speaks to us, we call it being schizophrenic. (laughs) Does God still speak? I remember John Orberg telling the story. He he woke up in the middle of the night and moonlight was coming through the window. He looked at his wife, Nancy, sleeping beside him. And and suddenly the most intense sense of love just overwhelmed him. He he rolled over and just watched her sleep. He said, it it was as if I saw our entire married life in one kaleidoscopic viewing For the longest time, I just watched my wife in wonder as she slept. And then a thought came, while I lie in bed, God is watching me. And then something totally unexpected occurred. A flood of thoughts came to his mind. I love you like that. While you lay sleeping, no one can see you, but I watch you and my heart is full of love for you. What your heart is feeling right now as you watch your wife, what a parent Feels watching a child is just a little picture for you, a gift so that you can know every night when you go to sleep that this is my heart for you. I want you to reflect on this at night before you close your eyes. I'm watching you and I'm full of love. Orberg writes, it was an overwhelming moment. I, I just, I had this sense that God himself was somehow speaking to me, that these were not just thoughts about God, but thoughts from God, speaking of his love to me personally. Does God still speak? It's an important faith question, isn't it? If if Lynn told me before marriage that she was pregnant, but don't worry, it's God, I think I, I would have chalked that dream up to wishful thinking and bad pizza. Does God still speak? In John 8, 47, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And yet we don't, right? At least sometimes. And what is it that keeps us from hearing God's voice? Distraction, busyness, worries wrong concepts, just not looking. How about pride? How how can I hear God? In James 1, there's this kind of indicator that if we want to hear God, we have to want it. We we have to want to hear God and we have to be willing to do whatever it is that he tells us to do. We have to be still and listen, it says in the Psalms. Uh, Let your hands grow slack. Quit striving. And, And we have to be relentlessly responsive. We have to be willing to do what he calls us to do. I'm telling you, God still speaks, and and while I'll freely admit that his speaking doesn't always bring the undeniable, irrefutable proof that some say they seek, 
I find that when I listen, when I hear and respond, it, it can lead to the most awesome encounters with God. But it's not it's not enough to just listen, right? We need to lean in. Faith calls us to action. The, the completion of faith is action. Henry Blackaby, in his study, Experiencing God, referred to it as a crisis of belief. He said the crisis occurs when we must act on the basis of what we believe. And, and the question is, do we believe enough to act even when we're in the dark, when it hurts, when we don't feel like responding? Verse 24 is so critical to our understanding of faith. Matthew 1, 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. See, we act on the basis of what believe, what we believe. James said, faith without action is dead. So what response is God requesting from you today? Said, I don't know, Dan. What I think he's asking me to do, I don't know. And, and what I think he's asking me to do, I I'm I'm not sure that I I can do it. I'm afraid they'll laugh at me or reject me. It's too great a risk. I I can't give I can't give away that much or forgive that man or woman or give up that attitude. It's too hard. It'll cost too much. Take too long. I'm too tired to keep trying. Who am I to do that? I'm just a teacher. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a college student or a common person, a blue collar worker. I don't understand why. I'm not sure if. <laughs> When when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. He acted. Uh, I'm convinced he still had questions. I'm convinced he still had no idea of the full scope of what he was getting into. I'm convinced he wondered if the dream was real. I'm convinced that moving forward was less heroic and more humility than we know. I'm less. I'm also convinced that it is one of the most powerful stories of faith because sometimes faith is nothing more than placing your foot in front of the other even though you don't know why. Sometimes faith is nothing more than praying even though you don't feel heard, going to church even though you don't get what you want, diligently seeking God even though you can't see him. Sometimes faith is nothing more than responding when God speaks. So let me just close with a question. What if Joseph had said no? What if he had woke up shaking his head in disbelief about some crazy dream? What if he decided that he couldn't put up with the neighbor's gossip? What if he had said, no, God, I can't, I won't, maybe later, but not now? Well, God's plan still would have continued. Jesus still would have been born. We still would be celebrating Christmas today. We wouldn't be missing out, but Joseph would have. Joseph would have missed out. Joseph would have missed out on his part in one of the greatest kingdom adventures ever recorded. He would have missed out on seeing God work. He would have missed out on an amazingly intimate encounter with God. Do you understand? God invites ordinary people with common resources to join him in uncommon activities, which will bring extraordinary results. Joseph was just an ordinary guy invited by an almighty God to join him in a common adventure. How about you? How about me? Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for Joseph. Thank you for his faith, that, that taking that step, even, even if he didn't know <laughs> that the dream was real. You didn't come to him in a vision. You didn't come even to him like, like the angel standing in front of Mary. It's just a dream. God, it, it, sometimes it's so easy for us to dismiss our dreams. But God, I pray for each and every person listening. God, would you speak to us? Would you speak to them? 
Would you whisper to their spirits by your spirit, by the very spirit of God that that you, you want to do great things in them? Would you would you help them to see the places where they're called to step forward in faith? Would you help us to live out the Christmas story by stepping forward in faith, whatever it is that you call us to do? God, would you invite us, ordinary people, to join you in an uncommon adventure this Christmas season? And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.